Welcome back to the Almost There podcast. I know we have been on a little spring break, but we are back and better than ever with some brand new guests coming on the second half of season three, all people in the design world. Today, we have an amazing guest, Tar Kefer. She is the founder of Network Next Gen, which is connecting young designers in their 20s and 30s to get to know each other in different cities all around the nation. And I've made some of my own friends through this group. And I think that what she and her team are doing are just absolutely killer. So everybody welcome Tara Kikafer. Hey guys, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So tell us about you. I feel like a lot of my listeners lately have started to become designers, but for the people who aren't in the design world, what are you doing? What's like your backstory? What's your passion? Like, tell me all the tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so um, I have a BFA in interior design um, from Iowa State. I went to um, Iowa State. I graduated in 2009, so not not a good time <laughs> to be graduating uh, with basically anything, specifically design. Um, I feel like the old person. I say this at almost every dinner. I say as like the old person, I feel I'm like relating to the 2020 grads, but I'm like back in my day, <laughs> so much harder. So 2009, not great. Um, but for me, it was a blessing in disguise. One thing led to another and I ended up in publishing. Mm. So I actually worked for design magazines for about like eight, eight and a half years. Um, I think it's really important, especially if you have designers listening. There are schools that tell you that if you have an interior design or an architecture degree, there's kind of like one path, right? Like yes. you're going to go to school, you're going to get that interior design degree, you're going to end up working at a firm like Gensler or somewhere like that. Right. And maybe you get to choose like residential or commercial. But honestly, like our design industry, there are so many amazing opportunities, mm. so many facets. I mean, I'm thinking of like product designers and textile designers mm. and in-house designers for companies. And we have um, next geners in our in our group, which I'll explain. But we have designers who are working on cruise ships. You know what I mean? There's yeah. so many facets. And so for me, publishing was really that. Like that was kind of eye-opening that I could take my design degree and use it every single day in the world of design magazines. Um, so I sold I sold advertising, which mm-hmm. is not the glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> not the glamorous side you think of when you think of publishing, but um, it was great. I got to know all the showrooms. I got to know all the designers. So it gave me this kind of like macro experience in the design world. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm, I'm based in Chicago. I still live here. I was uh, raised outside of Chicago. So this is home to me. <laughs> so I worked for a crazy startup right outside of school for about four years. And then I was poached to Lux Interiors and Design. Okay, you nice. might know that one. It's uh-huh. a high-end residential magazine. Um, and two years into that kind of starts the story of where I'm at now. <laughs> um, two years in, I was pitching this really wonderful woman who owned a tile showroom in Chicago. Her name was Barb. Uh, she was great. She's kind of like a spitfire. I'm trying to make her an icon and she hates it. (laughs) So I'm still doing it. So I went in to pitch Barb at this tile showroom an ad. Like that was my whole job. Sell this woman an ad. And she stopped me really, really quickly. And she was like, it was about two minutes into my speech, my sales pitch. She stopped me and she was like, listen, Tara, I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm old. I'm done. I'm trying to get out of this thing. She was like, I'm not going to buy an ad and I'm definitely not going into any of these fun events you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So she was like, so 
this isn't going to work, basically. She's like, this is over, what you're doing. And I'm like, okay, thank you for your honesty. Like, yeah. <laughs> how, like, how do I exit? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, all right. And she's like, listen, though, there's a problem in the industry that I see, and I think you have a good chance at solving it. Um, mm-hmm. What she noticed was a lot of younger designers were not going into showrooms the way they used to. Obviously, we have the internet, right? So they're going around showrooms sometimes. They don't even know what products to look at. And so a lot of these designers she was noticing were like not building relationships with her sales reps. Like they were kind of skipping that sales rep showroom experience and they were going straight to the internet. And she's like, obviously, as a business owner, that impacts me because I need my younger sales reps to know designers. So if they don't get to know each other, that's an impact. But Mm -hmm. also... Some of my best friends in like life came from this industry and you're a part of this industry. Like you understand there are so many cool, interesting, fun people in our industry that really care about design, but also Mm -hmm. care about people and care about like helping each other. And she's like, if that relationship breakdown starts happening, I really think the industry will change and not for the better. So she basically looked at me and was like, so figure it out. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I'm your ad sales girl, but like, sure, I will take on this crisis. Definitely something I should talk about in therapy. Cause like my me- immediate reaction was like, sure, let's figure it out. So I started to kind of think what people my age were doing at design events. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it happens in other you know, industries as well, but at least in the design world, um, there are a hundred of events every week. And I started to watch people at events and they were really doing something I call clumping. They were all kind of like huddled up in a clump with people they knew from work, or Mm -hmm. maybe they went to school with, but usually it was like people they legitimately just left the office with and now have like moved their bodies into a new location. And they're like huddled up. And I was like, dang, like if this is what we're spending, our time at these events that our work events doing just talking to people we already know we're like kind of missing the point right yeah like something should be happening at an event if you're gonna go and if you just talk to people you know like what what's the point of that we're, we're wasting mm-hmm. our personal time but we're also missing the opportunity of everyone else in the room yeah so I basically was thinking about what she gave me of this crisis and I'm like how can we kind of focus on forcing ourselves to network better. Like, how can we make use of this time if we're already going to be in a a space like this? Mm -hmm. So the only brilliant solution I had was I was like, you know what? I'm going to have a dinner party. (laughs) A dinner party is going to solve the world's problems that I didn't even know existed. Let's do it. So it's really not a brilliant format. It's simply a dinner party. And we still do this today. So this was about eight years ago. And I I started the first one with this dinner party. Um, We basically had one designer per firm attend. Mm. um, And I convinced my boss to pay for it, which is kind of the magic part of the whole story. She agreed. (laughs) So my boss paid for it. Um, I invited these different designers. um, And we just sat down and we went around the circle. We all shared our story. And then we got into questions that each designer wrote down. And what was really fascinating, because I didn't really know what was going to happen. I thought, like we'll just have some fun. And like, at least I I know these people, it'll be great. We'll have drinks and dinner, whatever. But what we figured out at that first dinner was we all got really, really deep, really fast. And I think it's because we realized that like, we all were feeling a lot of the same things and we felt like we were the only people feeling it. So people at their firm felt like they were, maybe it was just their firm and they felt like isolated 
but actually a lot of people felt like that. And so just talking about it, mm-hmm. um, by the end of the night, people just got really deep, really close. You could see kind of light bulbs going on. And I'm like, man, there really is something to this. Yeah. So we kept doing that for two years. I was still working at the magazine. And we had new people every time, so we kind of mixed it up. And we got into this rhythm, which we still keep, which is four dinners a year. Um, And then at the end of the fourth dinner, we had, like, a big reunion party. And so we did that for two years. Super fun. People got jobs out of it. People made friends. Um, You could tell at these bigger events, anyone who attended one of our dinners were, like, aggressively trying to meet new people. Like, they were not just like consciously trying to meet new people. It was very cool. Um, and it just kind of became a thing on its own. And so then two years in, I had, I had already brought it up to the magazine as something that maybe they could do. And it just wasn't the right time. They didn't have someone like me in every market. Um, and so I kind of started to think like, maybe this is something bigger than just this fun thing I'm doing with the magazine. Maybe it's something bigger. And so I ended up trying it on the commercial hospitality side um, two years in, which was six years ago. That's when we officially started. Um, and I tried it on the commercial hospitality side. And I thought, maybe these people have no problems. You know, like, because <laughs> I only knew the residential world. Yeah. I'm like, maybe commercial hospitality designers are, like, making a ton of money. Maybe they're super happy. Like, maybe they have no stress and no issues. And we did one, one dinner, and it was the first time I had started it as a business. So I brought in some manufacturers. So they actually um, were sponsors of the dinner. Mm. And based on liquor consumption alone, <laughs> I always like, oh, so factor. I was like, you guys have way more issues. <laughs> we have to switch it up. So we ended up going commercial hospitality. Um, it was great too, cause I worked for a residential magazine, so it was a non-compete. So it was great. Mm. I had their blessing to do it. Uh, two months later, I picked a spot on the map. I'd never been. I picked Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. I'd never okay. been to Atlanta. I knew no one there. Um, and we just ran the same model the same way. And by we, I mean, I just ran the model <laughs> the same way and it ended up working and it was great. So we just built from there. So mm. six months in, I quit my job. It was just too much travel. I quit my job. I ended up doing it full time. Um, and we've been growing. We have 18 cities now that we reach, which is wild. We do this four times a year in all 18 markets. We have mm-hmm. this like dinner format that we built off of. Uh, we have our reunion parties at the end of all those dinner formats. And then we also have a bunch of other stuff we do too. Like we do have our own podcast. We do a ton of social content. Um, we have a job board where we support designers looking for jobs. We've been able to plug people into new cities, which has been really cool. Yeah. Um, and it's just really kind of become what it is. So that's that's Network Next Gen. And that's kind of the evolution of, of the beginning to now. Yeah. I I just, one, I think that that's so incredible. Like how you, your entire journey getting there and just the point of it just was yeah. to connect people who have had a lot of similar experiences. And I mean, obviously I attended that dinner. That's how I know who you are and like why we're yes. in the place that we are. And yeah, I just felt so seen there. And I think that a lot of people on the outside don't understand the pressures that happen in design. And we're not saving lives. That's something that my firm, we always joke about. It's like, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's okay. You know, if the chair gets (laughs) delayed by five weeks or like that there's something wrong with construction and it has to be done again, you know, like at the end of the day, it's fine, but there still are big things and it's our jobs and it's clients that we care about and our team that we care about and we want to deliver. 
And so to be able to have other people who understand the minutia that's going on, I work in residential and commercial design, so I see both worlds. Um, and they both have their own problems. And I'm totally. also like a big, <laughs> like you were saying, like in the beginning, like how some people just do designer architecture and that's like their path, you know, but how there's all these other facets. I actually went to school for communications and design. So like when I was young, when I was 16, I started interning for this designer, Carrie Kelly. And she told me like, if I can tell you to do anything with school, it would be to either minor in design or to like major in something else and like get design experience her. And then my, design like chair of my school at the time was like I think it's good for you to do psychology or or communication 100% and so that's what I did so I started and I started doing a communications degree as well like as my design courses and I'm so grateful that I've done that because I feel like it's exposed me one I have I feel like you know if I mean design is my like lifeline I'm obsessed like that's all that I want to do but I feel like I'm really equipped to be able to understand different areas of design, how we communicate with clients, how to have relationships with like salespeople. Like you were saying, like you need to know your reps. And I love that the dinners bring in new reps, but I'm also like a huge advocate for like going to the showrooms, even if like I don't need a ton of stuff, just like popping in and getting to know those people because at the end of the day, it's like, you're not just like specifying a fabric or specifying a piece of furniture. Like it's it's something that someone has thoughtfully curated and you need to know about the product. And like, I am not a know-it-all. I do not know everything about every product and it's their job to know everything about their products. And so like leaning on people who have education, being okay to say like, I know what I know, but I also know what I don't know. And like Mm -hmm. using the resources that we have, I think is so good. And then like, I so I really appreciate that side of the Network Next Gen dinners. And then, like you said, like, being able to sit down with people who are in the exact same boat as you are, like, I mean, at least the dinner that I attended was primarily junior designers where, you know, a lot of times we're doing a lot of the work and then somebody else gets the credit. Or, you know, we're doing a lot of on-the-ground work and then everything gets scratched and you start over. Or, you know, like talking about finances and like, we love all this amazing design stuff and we're like barely getting by, you know, like there's all of these different, I feel like experiences that maybe I thought I was the only one having at one point in my life or another, um, that other people are also having. And then being able to like take a step back and realize like, okay, this thing that was really big to me, this other person has like a bigger struggle Mm -hmm. and like how can I help them through that and be a good friend to them and like support them like how can we share education like one of the other girls that I met I'm hanging out I told you I'm hanging out with one of the girls tonight for dinner yes which makes me so happy so good it's like real friendship that's so great yeah but then there was another girl who works for an architecture firm who like sent me a connecting email this week and was like hey there's this rep who's like planning to take a lot of the designers on this trip to San Diego I think you would be perfect for it And I was like, okay, a trip, that's fun. But also just, like, it just felt so thoughtful. And I was like, what you're doing is clearly working. Like, it really is connecting people. And I feel like, especially in in Portland itself, it's a small city. And I feel Mm -hmm. like they're, like, all the design firms in town, design and architecture, I feel like are doing very different things and have our Mm -hmm. own markets. And I don't know. I just feel like it's nice to be able, like, I don't feel like I'm competing with mm-hmm. these people, like, I feel like we all have our own place, which is great. Um, 
But I also love that, like, you are creating an environment that it's, like, we're all doing our best. We're all, like, excited about what we're doing, excited about what we love, and, like, just learning how to support each other and relate to to each other is the most important Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know? It's about, obviously, yeah, we work for our firms, but at the end of the day, it's, like, it's you, your heart, your passion, you know, what's filling you, what's filling your soul, what's filling your career soul, so, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think also like a lot of times we forget that like practicing networking or like communication is so important because Mm -hmm. one of the things we didn't realize would make such an impact was having each designer. They only could come by themselves. So like you had to come by yourself. We have one person per firm and it's very strategic because that forces you kind of outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to go to something when you have like your little buddy with you and you can like talk to your buddy all night. And there's value to that in certain situations. But I think being able to force people to kind of step out aside, outside of that comfort zone and be able to come by yourself, that really makes you um, take the leap of meeting new people in a new way. You don't feel like um, you're, you're as scared because you know other people are doing the same thing. But I think that was one of those magic keys to our success at the beginning that we didn't know would end up being so powerful is the yeah. idea of like, even as like a mid twenties person adult or a mid thirties adult, it still is kind of intimidating to walk into a room and start talking to people you don't know. And, and it's really intimidating when you have to admit as an adult, it's weird to make friends, like making friends can be kind of hard. And so anything we can do to make that more comfortable, I think that's what we're all about. And like, like you said, talking about things that affect your real life, like money and salary and negotiating and some of the things you might not get in an everyday um, professional career, but having a place where you could talk about it, I think is so important. I think as a, a 20 and 30 something, it's also like strange. Like there are sometimes conversations that you want to have, but you don't know if it's appropriate to have that in your workplace or like feeling really intimidated. Like if I ask for this thing, you know, like let's, let's say negotiating a salary, for example, like Mm -hmm. I'm bringing a lot of value to my firm. I have all of these skills. Here are the skills that I'm building. Here are the hours that I'm putting in on the ground, on the project. And it's, it's really hard as a junior because like a lot of the work does fall on you, but like people don't really know that unless you're Mm -hmm. in the firm. But a lot of the time it's the juniors doing most of the design work. And so, and then there's like, you know, high level sign off. Obviously there's a lot of collaboration happening, but a lot of the like on the ground nitty gritty work is juniors. And it's, it's a lot, you know, on your plate. And I think that there's like, there's so many different factors, right? There's age, there's experience Mm -hmm. level. Like obviously we aren't as experienced as the seniors or the principals or some of the architects maybe, um, and then there's just, like, it It could be uncomfortable if you bring up conversations like that. And I think that, like, the next-gen dinners are helpful because you guys give, like, room to have. I mean, that's, like, obviously a really heavy conversation. Not all the conversations are, like, I'm using that topic because I know that that's, like, yeah. a hot one right now across yeah. all industries. Is like, negotiating salary, like, how to stand yeah. up for yourself. Like, what is a livable wage? What did it look like then? What does it look like now, like, post-COVID? with all this inflation happening too and a recession happening. Like there's just so much going on at once. And it's like, how do you even navigate that? Like, I think that there's even like, I'm learning about finances because I'm in my early twenties. Like, I don't know. 
I don't have a lot of like knowledge on those things. And so for you guys to be able to have questions and experience to be able to share with us. And like, that's one of the things that I want to ask next is like, how do you come up with the content and what type of content do you see people resonating with, you know, like this, but in other areas? Yeah, totally. So from the beginning, I always wanted to make sure the content was really based around what designers wanted to talk about. Because mm. I think specifically, um, manufacturers are always coming up with like CEUs and panels and like, they're kind of always pulling what they like think that people want to hear, which I think is is relevant. But I also feel like sometimes just asking people <laughs> like is the best method to any anything. Yeah. So what we did at the beginning, and we still do, is we have every designer write down one question that they want the group to chat about. And that really has, has really made an impact for me because in eight years, not one dinner, and we do, like last year we did 76 dinners wow. in the year. So we, we do a lot. So we've done a lot of dinners. Um, so in those eight years that every dinner changes, so it's really kept it fresh for me as someone who's moderated a lot of those dinners. And it's really around what that group at that moment wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times people are asking questions like work-life balance or stress or they're asking, um, you know, I'm a new parent. Like, how am I supposed to juggle this? Uh, the money question comes up every dinner. <laughs> so like you were mentioning, we talk about salary and negotiating and bonuses. We're even on a streak where we have designers write down their salary anonymously and their years of experience and we read it. And I think um, going into those kind of qu- questions that are maybe a little uncomfortable, but everyone at the table wants to hear about, because even though we're in a creative field, you're still working a job and you're still working for money and, it, right. and money is something we all need and it's something that affects everyone. So we should talk about it mm-hmm. and there's respectful ways to talk about it. And I think the whole point is getting people comfortable so that they ask questions they actually want to know yeah. about other firms, about themselves, about their future, um, because that's the best kind of dialogue that I believe anyone can have is, is kind of relevant in the moment, but also like things that are real and that people actually want to talk about. So I don't know if that really answers the question, but that's kind of a broad mix of the type of topics we talk about. Yeah. Recently, I also heard that you were acquired. What was that about? Yeah. So um, actually about a year and a half ago, we were acquired by Material Technologies. Uh, They own Material Bank as well as Architizer and a bunch of other really cool, interesting companies. So that was pretty cool. That was five years into when I started the company. So Mm -hmm. I I obviously didn't see that coming, but it was really fun. Um, The Adam Sandow also owns Lux Interiors and Design. So Mm -hmm. for me, it was like a full circle (laughs) moment kind of coming back to the family, but it's been cool. It's been able to help us um, expand our team, grow what we're able to do and the amount of events we're able to do. So that's been really, really fun. And we're happy to be part of the family. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That's so huge Thank to you. like be noticed on that Thank type you. of scale. That's amazing. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been good for NNG to keep growing at a bigger pace. Yeah. So. What roles do you see the 20s to 30s age group playing in the design industry? And then also, I know that there's this whole term about young designers paying their dues. And so I'm just curious, like, how you see that kind of fitting in to like the 20s and 30s in the design industry as well. Yeah, that's such an interesting and good question. Um, 
I think like, I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but 20s to 30s have such a massive role in our industry specifically because they're really doing a lot of the work. So a lot of the 20s to 30s are the ones actually doing CAD drawings, right? They're the ones actually pulling samples and products. They're the ones specifying. Um, There's just a lot of that like heavy work placed on junior designers. And I think it's really valuable. I think when you're a junior designer, you should be coming into any position wanting to learn more and wanting to try everything. Because I think sometimes um, people get a little stuck in like one little niche. And if you're in your 20s, you probably don't know where you want to go or where you want to end up. So I think having the ability to touch a lot of different parts of a project, being able to be in client meetings, being able to be mentored by someone older, I think that's a huge uh, important factor of being young and being in the industry is uh, kind of accepting some of that because mm. you want to be given opportunities to do more. Yeah. I also think 20s to 30s in the industry are looked at as kind of a new source of inspiration. Yeah. I think anyone who's been in the industry a long time is constantly looking at like anyone new and fresh for like ideas you're bringing, you know, like even from millennial to Gen Z, there's so many differences and so many fresh creative thoughts. And I think people who have been in the industry 15, 20 years, they're, they're looking for that inspiration from twenties to thirties. So I think, I think those are kind of the main roles they play in terms of paying your dues. I think it's gotten kind of tricky because this conversation has changed so much from when I started. I think there's a huge shift from pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. So I think pre-pandemic, the natural inclination was you're young, you're fresh, you have to work super hard to pay your dues. Um, Specifically, when I graduated 2009, we were in a recession, a really big one. And I think working for free was common. You know, like Mm -hmm. I worked five jobs for free at one point. I took a lot of internships for free. And like, that is not necessarily how culture is now, which is, I think, a good thing. But you do have (laughs) that generation of like, we paid our dues, we worked for free, and now it's a different situation, thank God, 12 years later. So I think pre-pandemic, there was more of an emphasis on that. Post-pandemic, I think people are talking a lot about work-life balance. Mm. I think people are really stressing mental health. And I think the idea of paying your dues isn't as pushed as it was before, in my opinion, personal opinion. Um, I think there is a little more focus on making sure you're setting boundaries so that you can be the best version of yourself and that there's more to life than just work. And I think that's an amazing shift. And I think we should really promote that while at the same time trying to learn as much as you can Mm. and looking for every opportunity You know, whether that's in your job and design, whether it's outside of it, like podcasting or social media or like content creating, whatever it is, I think there should be a balance of like moderating your work-life balance, but also making sure you're like pushing yourself to explore as many opportunities as you can. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I feel like, I feel like before the workplace that I'm in now is so super healthy like they are very it's like a small family run business and we have summer Fridays where we get off in the summer and oh, like, that's awesome at 3 PM. I love that. <laughs> and we have you know they they really encourage us to like take time off and if you know if you're we primarily work in the office but like if you're not feeling up to coming in that day like work from home or like how can I we have monthly check-ins like how can I support you outside of work you know like your mental health they know that I have 
a podcast and that I have my like event venture here that's like you know design events and they're like we've never had anyone before who's like as motivated as you are and they're like we see a lot of ourselves in you and like how can we support that and so I think not everyone is quite there you know and I feel like every firm definitely has like work to be doing in that area but I think like you said like a lot of people at least post-covid especially in the wellness space and mental health like I think people realize like work isn't your everything and I think especially in the architecture heavy firm I was in an architecture firm before this like we were expected to be at the office until 8 p.m at least every night and I was there till midnight I would say at least once a week every other week you know like it it was it was common for us to be there and to be grinding and to be working on the weekends and I think what I found, at least like for me personally, is like as great of a job maybe as like something can be, like it's not worth your entire life. Like you are still you at the end of the day, you know, and so like you need people to be able to check you and like prioritize you like as a designer in their firm, but then also like as a human being, like understand oh, I have family coming into town. Is it cool if I go hang out with them instead? You know, like, mm-hmm. if they're, like, working at a cafe, like, can I go join them? You know, I'm taking the day off tomorrow, but can I go, like, today? You know, like, little things yeah. like that that should just be understandable. It's a normal part of life. Or, like, in Portland, it's rainy all the time, and so whenever it's sunny out, our bosses will joke, they're like, leave early, go on a bike ride, go on a walk. And <laughs> There's the sun. The sun is here. Yes. <laughs> I know. Like, right now, it's, like, sunny. It was dumping rain up until the last hour and I'm like oh I'm so now you're feeling it yeah yeah I agree I also think like um hopefully starting early with these topics will be great because then hopefully we can eliminate a lot of the panels and seminars and trainers and coaches talking about burnout right Right. because if we start early talking about mental health the idea would be to not have to end up in that like let's fix burnout stage um like hopefully that kind of rhythm of life can create a better balance so people aren't so stressed out. Mm. So they're not burning out 10 years in. Um, So we're not having people exit the industry because they're so burned out with those kind of hours. Like hopefully the idea of starting early is going to fix some of that naturally, which would be amazing. Yeah. What if, so this is like a hypothetical situation because like I know a lot of people in this situation right now where they're like, I love the idea of this. I wish that I could say something like that, but like, I just don't know how to stand up for my values and set boundaries at work. Like, how can, how would you suggest a designer do that respectfully and effectively in their workplace? Yeah. We talk about this at almost every dinner. So I have <laughs> a pretty good, like, national input on, like, different ideas. So I feel like every designer has their own idea and way of doing it. I think one thing that people do really well with the boundaries is just communicate them. Mm. I think what we a lot of times people don't even think about like, hey, I'm just going to let my boss know, like, hey, I'm going to actually start taking this yoga class at six o'clock. So I'm going to need to leave by 530. Yeah. You know, like just the simple acts of communicating your boundary is really a big deal because a lot of times you assume your boss knows how late you're working and they don't, right? Like a lot of times you assume they know your workload and they don't. And so being able to communicate that and set that boundary, the more you do that, the more respect you you get because Mm -hmm. I feel like people then are aware 
that you're setting a boundary and you're getting your work done and life is going on and everything is fine. So I think like communicating the boundary is number one. And then I think um, for some people, they need to just like make personal time within their schedule and block Mm -hmm. it off. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's amazing if you block off an hour for lunch, you actually take the lunch, you know, or if you block off a half an hour for certain things, you can actually make that happen. And people notice that. And again, I think they respect it once they're aware of the boundary. Another thing people say often, which I think is good, is like the debate about when to answer emails at night or text messages at night or things from clients or from your boss. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people across the country have said that they just will schedule emails to go out the next day if they're going to do that at night. Like, let's say you have children and you want to put down your children to bed and then that's when you use your work time, but then they're scheduling emails the next day. Right. So that way you're not like looking like you're working all night. Mm. Um, but sometimes just not answering is a boundary. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. Like if your boss is texting you at six and it's not an emergency waiting till the next day and then picking up the conversation it's like a natural indicator that like, yeah. I'm not even, it's after six, you know, and some people, maybe their bosses aren't okay with that. You'll find that out pretty quick, <laughs> but that that's pretty hard for a boss to justify being mad at you for not responding. If you're picking up the conversation during work hours, same with clients, clients don't know your boundaries. So if you're answering a client at eight o'clock, that's what they think is normal, yeah. right? So like totally. starting to train yourself on when you answer things, I think is another boundary people have said is is really happy and really healthy, which I think that makes sense. Yeah. What do you think about that in terms of moving, moving response time? I mean, our firm has like a strict no communication before 9 a.m. after 5 p.m. rule. Uh, yeah. You know, I would say like 5.30 and like Google chat. We use like Google chats. Some people use Slack. And some people respond, some people don't respond, but like for the most part, we just, and I love that because like I said, like Mm -hmm. that has just not been my experience in the past and I just, it just feels super healthy and like sometimes I'm just, I'm a, I'm a type A, right? And if I'm, I have a hard time shutting my brain off. I feel like I've tried to prioritize like when I get home, I make my dinner and then I go to the gym or like flipped. And like, that's just what works for me. Like to have a routine that like physically puts a barrier between like work Mm -hmm. and like getting ready for sleep. But you know, like it goes both ways, right? Because us as designers, sometimes like there's a lot on our plate or there's something that we're thinking about and we're like, wait, we want to get an answer about this. Or like, I'm in this case right now where there was like a vendor not responding and we were supposed to have subs on site tomorrow. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I've done all that I can do. And like, just send a message like, hey, fortunately we weren't able to get this coordinated today. Like we'll check back in tomorrow, like have a good evening and just like give them a heads up and call it a day. But like this weekend, it's, this is like totally on me. For the first time, like, in my entirety of me working there, I was at Schoolhouse, which is, like, everybody knows Schoolhouse. It's a great showroom locally. They're based out of Portland. They were having their biggest warehouse sale. And I was there buying some stuff for myself, and I saw these light fixtures that we had been looking at. We're moving into a new studio space. And so I just snapped a picture, and I was like, hey, do you guys guys want me to, like, buy these? Like, I know we were looking at them this week. And I had told them that week that I was going to be at this sale. And they were like, thanks for sending, but remember, it's the weekend. Like, we don't talk about work on the weekends. That's great. And I was like, (laughs) I was genuinely so thankful. And we, like, talked about it when I came into the office. And I was like, 
You guys are right. Like, it's literally a wall sconce. Like, we can pay the extra $40 and, like, not get it on the sale, like, for the sake of not interrupting our day. And, like, it was just a good reminder for me, too, to make sure that I am not always on. Like, that I'm still prioritizing myself and respecting myself and respecting them. So, I'm all for it. I feel like I'm lucky right now that I, like, have that. But I know, like, for other people, like, starting to set... That boundary can feel really weird, but I think, like you said, like, saying, like, hey, I have a yoga class at this time, or just, like, setting, like, you know, I'm working on my mental health, and, like, to me, like, I really need the time to detach after hours, and, you know, they're only, they're paying you so much for you to be there a certain amount of time per week, and I think that, you know, some things have shifted to be toxic, where it's like, all right, you're working all the time on the clock. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, that's not, you're not paying me for that's that. So setting that well, boundary I, is so also important. Also, I think like when your boss is responding, you know, like, yeah, um, I think sometimes when you're younger, and you're new, you kind of look at your boss as the example. And just because your boss is working all the time does not mean that they expect you to work all the time. Yes. And I think sometimes younger, newer hires think like, oh, no, I can't leave till my boss leaves. Or like, they were messaging me last night. I got to respond right away. And it's like any boss is going to know that you're not going to work the same hours they are. They might be more flex. You just don't know the other person's situation. Exactly. So another thing I caution with like work-life balance and boundaries is like knowing that everyone looks at that differently and you don't have to mirror anyone mm-hmm. that you're working with or you're working for because they might not even be expecting you to. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I think one thing that I would just say like share this at your dinners and I'll share this to my podcast audience is like our firm does a once a month check-in with one of the principal designers now it doesn't have to be a principal designer it could be the person who manages you where like I, I told I mentioned this before like where we check in about where we're at with work where we're at personally it's short it's 30 minutes or less um but it gives us both an opportunity to communicate how we're feeling. I think that a lot of times things can be really stressful, but like, it's just that, like you said, it's like a lunch meeting. You set it every day. And if you do it, you eat your lunch. And if you don't, you don't eat your lunch. And we just have it like reoccurring, you know, once a month. And it's so healthy because we genuinely get to understand more like they get to understand where I'm at, but I also can ask for feedback and be like, is there anything you want me to work on? you know, and they can ask me like, how's your podcast going? Like what's going on in your life? It makes the relationship more human and less work oriented. So I would say if you're in a workplace where, you know, your bosses seem understanding and seem like they care about you, I hope that everybody has that, but I know it's not always the case. Like try to set up a little, a little bit of time so that you guys can have that internal check to like really just be on the same page about communication and expectations. Totally agree. I think that's great. Yeah. So I would love to know, like, I know we chatted a little bit before about salary. And I know that this is like a huge topic. And like a bunch of people have written in to me to be like, you need to talk about finances more. So I'm curious, like, what are your hot tips on how to negotiate salary? So three tips that I share with people about like negotiating salary. Um, and these come from next generers. So mm-hmm. they come from across the country. Um, one person was talking about the one-year review and mm-hmm. how a lot of people have one-year reviews. But at the one-year review, your boss or the company has already probably made up their mind what they're willing to give you. Yeah. And you'll have a little flex in negotiating that. 
but not a ton because there's a budget. It's a hard budget. Yeah. Um, everybody's got a number, right? So what they said was they you should set up a six-month review, mm-hmm. even if it's like a voluntary one you set up yourself, and talk at the six-month review about what you are hoping to get in the one-year review, mm. okay? So you're kind of like preemptively setting up a pace with your boss or whoever's the salary decision maker <laughs> to be like, hey, here's what I want to see in mm. at the, that review. How do I get there? What are the steps? What do I need to do? That gives you a hard list that then in your one-year review, you can be like, you said you wanted to see this. Here's how I knocked that out of the park, right? Yeah. And then you're already kind of in the ballpark of where you want to be from a number standpoint, and you're not just kind of crossing your fingers and hope you get something good. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. So, so definitely preemptively set up a review. Don't just rely on your company to do a review. Another thing someone had mentioned, which I thought was good, is he said he has a Word document. So just a basic Word document on his desktop. And anytime anyone sends him a positive comment, anything, he just copy pastes it and throws it in the Word doc. Then when he gets to the review, he already has a running list Mm. of all kinds of things to trigger his memory about things he's done well. Because um, this guy, as well as myself, I don't really hear positive compliments anymore. Like they kind of roll (laughs) past me, but like, half a negative one <laughs> like I'll ah! stew on for weeks right yeah. like if someone is like mm, this salad's a little dry like anything half like negative I'll stew on forever but mm. the positive stuff I'll like easily forget and so this way of like documenting your wins from other people is just a great way of having a memory jogger mm. because then you won't forget it. It's in writing. You're not like scrambling to make a list on your own. Yeah. And then you can obviously add to it as you think of things that you want to just keep track of that you do. I think we all kind of know day-to-day stuff, but we don't always remember the real ins and outs of what made you successful. And that's what you need to show at our view. So definitely keep a word doc. All of us could do that starting tomorrow. And it's just a good way to keep track. Yeah. Another thing someone I mentioned, and she was pretty senior. So she was a senior at principal level. She said that there is a non-skeezy way to do this, which I agree. She said every two years, she takes informational interviews. You know, like LinkedIn recruiters that like, they'll hit you up every once in a while. Every two years, she'll accept some kind of interview. And she's very upfront and honest. Like she'll literally say, I'm not looking to leave my job. I love my company. I'm not looking to leave. All I want to know is like what you're hearing is current market value Mm. for someone in my position. Okay. So she'll get the numbers. So like, they'll like kind of go through what other people are making and what they could offer her. And she said not every time she uses it as like leverage. A lot of times she just sits on the information. Mm. Sometimes she'll use it as leverage to negotiate, but just having the current market value is so crucial because even if you're starting at a certain number and you're getting like a 5%, 10% raise every year, if you're starting way below what someone right. else is coming in at, yes. you're never going to make it up, right? You're just going to be constantly trying to like follow. Mm. So just having that information is like power, mm. okay? Because then when you go into an interview or an interview or like a negotiation, you're so confident in what your current market value is that it takes a lot of the emotion out of it. Yeah. So. I think that's super clutch. Um, Something that they were also talking about at a dinner that really stuck with me is they were talking about the difference between men and women in negotiating. Mm. It's crazy. (laughs) I believe it. (laughs) Obviously, like someone did a study on it and I can't remember what city they were in, but they were saying that 
men typically negotiate with one number mm. and it's the highest number they want to get. That's what they give. They give their highest number, one number. That's where they start. Women tend to negotiate in a range. They're like, I would like between here and here. And you're hoping that the employer goes in the middle. Yeah. Okay. And what this, and what this woman was saying was she was like, that is a terrible way to negotiate because you're giving yourself like a bottom value of like right. what you will accept and you're not showing confidence. Mm. Whereas a man, when he's like, this is what I want, you know, he's showing that confidence. So something I say every dinner as loud as I possibly can is the person making the most money at your company is not the best designer and not the best architect. It's not even the best like leader or the mm. best principal. It's not even that. The person making the most money at your company is the person who is the best negotiator. Love that. And negotiation takes practice. Mm. Salespeople are good at it. Lawyers are good at it. It's because they practice it. Mm. So like knowing in your head that the best, highest paid person is the best negotiator, we should be practicing in the mirror. We should practice with our friends, with our partners. Like when you're going to go into a negotiation, the first time you do it should not be with the person you're negotiating with. Mm. You should have a really good speech down about what you want to say. You should have your list out of the points you want to hit, but you should have that down so that you're not coming at it from an emotional, like I deserve this space. Right. You're coming at it from a very confident black and white. Here's what it is. Confidence type space. Mm. I love that. That's seriously such a good point. And I always catch myself doing that. I've been, there's a a book that I've been reading lately that's all about that, like women in leadership and like, you know, how to be like a strong woman in the workplace. And one of them has been about like just how we communicate. And then the other one has been that too, is just like Mm -hmm. knowing your worth, knowing what to ask for, like standing firm in that, not setting like a low value. And I I always do that. I'm like, I'm fine with not necessarily many ways, but like this would be ideal, yeah. but I'm also okay with this. And it's like, well, see what you want up front. Yeah. If they say, you know, whatever, that's too high, then say, okay, well, like, let's talk about it. Like, you know, where right. do you land? Like, here's the value. Here's what I put out on the table. Like, let's chat about it. And then that way, like, like you said, like, you're maybe going to get more than you think you would be able to, but you would never know that if yeah. you bottomed yourself out. So. Totally. And I've heard, I've heard the counter argument of like, not saying a number, see what they hit you with first, which I do like that approach. But I just think that the idea of like, the confidence and like, like you said, like, you could say something to the effect of one line I use a lot, um, that I've learned in kind of entrepreneur world is like, uh, we're not that far off here. Like, here's where we're at. We're not that far off if they offer you something lower. Like, let's make it work, you know, and then you're kind of showing that you're willing to make it work, Mm. uh, but you're, you got a ways to go. And that almost always guarantees that any offer, business deal, whatever, it's going to go up in the right direction if you approach Mm. it that way. So I love that. That's so good. Yeah. The best negotiator is the one making the most money. If you just sit with just that thought for a while, that can kind of blow your mind. It's pretty interesting. Let's chat about networking. I know we have a bit high level, but I kind of want to dig into it more um, and talk about the importance of networking and 
like how do you network well I guess I mean that's a big blanket statement but I think some people like you said like you go to a design event hang out with your two people at design or outside of this right like outside mm-hmm. of design like I feel like most of the stuff we've talked about is super applicable which I love Agreed. I live for that um but yeah it's like okay what if I'm an introvert that's like a huge I'm clear you and I are both like very extroverted I can tell (laughs) we're like doing our thing but you know like there are some people who are like okay that's great for you like Gabby and Tara like you can do that but like I don't feel confident doing that like what skills would you recommend someone learn um and then also just like things to have in your back pocket when you're networking so that you like come to an event or even if you're just out and about like how do you be prepared to network Yeah, totally. I just did a full speaking engagement on this. So Mm. it's very like fresh in my head. (laughs) And it was really interesting because the room was full of all different levels. And I feel like no matter what level, what age you're at, you can Mm. always get better at networking. Um, I think the biggest thing I really like to communicate with networking is like, everyone feels when they walk into a room that all eyes are on you, like everyone's staring at you. And the reality of that is they're just not. (laughs) like not everyone's looking at you everyone's trying to do their own thing you know they're probably uncomfortable at some sort of level too Mm. and so I think the second you take some of the pressure off of yourself by being like everyone's looking at me I have to do something great you know Mm. that kind of makes things a lot easier when you're like okay not everyone's looking at me I'm just gonna do my thing um I think one of the biggest things I say too is be yourself So if you're not an extrovert, like you are an introvert, like you mentioned, if you are someone who is a little bit shyer, don't try to be extroverted. Don't try to be funny if you're not funny. (laughs) Don't try to walk in and kind of become a separate person. Yeah. Like just be yourself and be confident in who you are. And I think a lot of that, again, goes back to practice. The more uh, networking events you go to, the more uncomfortable situations you put yourself in, the, the easier it gets. Like when I first started networking, I was super awkward. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I felt very like scrambled. I was like really nervous. I was like doing multiple laps around the room because I didn't want to get caught and stuck, you know, anywhere. Yeah. So I think like going to more of these things makes you feel better mm-hmm. because then you feel like, okay, nothing tragic is going to happen. It's all going to be great. Um, a tip that I give out that's very practical is always start if you don't know what to do with like the environment around you. Mm. So like, let's say you're at a showroom, I would highly recommend walking over to a product and just starting to check it out. Eventually someone else will come over to you, probably someone from the showroom. (laughs) They'll start talking to you about the product and they'll start talking to you about where it's from. And like, I think conversation is easier when you pick up on cues from the environment because it takes the focus off of you Mm. and like you generating something random and it puts it on something else. So like, let's say you're in an art gallery, walk over to a painting and start asking the person about what they think about the painting. Mm. If you're on a date, start talking about the food, right? Like (laughs) ask about the menu, talk about food. What do you like? Like anything that's environmental is is just going to take the pressure off of you and onto something else. And that makes things feel a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, I also said this, which I think is kind of interesting, is giving yourself mini goals throughout the event is really helpful if you're nervous or you're kind of trying to get better at networking. So by a mini goal, I mean this. Let's say you walk in a room, it's a three-hour event, Give yourself a mini goal of maybe in a half an hour, I'm going to go use the restroom Mm. or in 15 minutes, I'm going to go grab a drink. 
like little time goals gives you a chance to like mix up where you're at, but also you feel like you almost succeeded. Like you checked a box, you know? So like, Oh, I did that. I went, I went to get a drink in 30 minutes, you know, check. Like it just gives you a sense of like accomplishment. And that actually like weirdly gives you some confidence and it makes the time feel more purposeful. Right. Mm. So it feels like there's a reason to what you're doing and it's not so aimless. Another mini goal could be, I'm going to meet three people and grab three business cards before I leave. Okay. The mm-hmm. second you get those three business cards, boom, you can be out of there and you <laughs> feel like you achieve. You know what I mean? You feel totally. like you achieve something. Yeah. Even without just kind of standing around staring at your drink and like feeling like you're in high school. Yeah. So I think trying to identify those little mini goals are like little mini wins. Um, another thing I wanted to say about networking is sometimes the worst part of networking is you get like stuck in a conversation. Mm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you're like, I don't want to talk to Jim Bob all night. And now I'm like stuck in this awkward convo. So I think to make things feel more comfortable is giving your kind of like practiced Irish exit sentence out. Okay. So this is, this is really fun. So like, if you think of how you're going to exit a conversation before you get in it, it almost gives you that freedom to leave and it takes another layer of pressure off. Mm. So one that I used to say all the time would be like, Hey Jim, it was great to chat with you. I'm so glad I got to run into you. Um, I'm going to go actually do a lap in the room and make sure I don't miss anyone before I have to leave. So I'm going to go say hi to some people, but like, it was great to talk to you. And then like, boom, you're out of there. That's okay? so good. I love that. <laughs> and that that gave me confidence at events that I'm like, okay, I have a rehearse line that yeah. I will use. And then I don't feel like I'm like stuck yeah. in any conversation. Gabby, on the fly, do you want to do one? What's like a good Irish exit line for you? Let's say you're at an event. Oh, Jim is talking to you. You're like, I got to go. What a, what's your Irish fly. exit line? Hmm. I feel like I say something honestly along the same lines of that where either really? like, I wear either like I know someone else in the room or there's like you like you said like there's a product like there's like something tangible that I want to go check out so it's like and I want to go see yeah like I'll use I was literally just at a rug I'll, I'll use this as a perfect example I was at a rug event like literally this week and there was a bunch of people there and I was in the middle of this like long conversation and I was like Hey, I, it was so lovely to meet you guys. Can I grab your business cards? I'm going to go like check out some more of the products and like get to chatting with the rep a little bit. Like I know that's a very like niche example, but like either having like a person or a product, um, even like food, like you said, like, Oh, I'm going to take a bathroom break or I'm going to grab some food. Like it was so nice to meet you. Like, I think that just like having that finisher, like where you're not like expected to come back to the conversation, like either like get their information if you want to, or just like, it was so nice to meet you. You know, wish you the back Because otherwise, if you say, like, I'm going to go get a drink, they might be like, I'll come with you. Or the worst is when you tell someone you're going to leave and then you see that person later or they tell you they're going to leave and they're still there. And you're like, oh, ouch. You know, so like that exit line um, provides a lot of like comfort. And I think if you have the same one you can keep using, then you're not like frazzled. You could just like bust it out, get out of there. Yeah. So, yeah. Sometimes (laughs) I even, I found this weird comfort like with saying exactly what everyone's like feeling like if even in like even at like the next gen events I feel like I I did this where I was just like 
I don't know anyone. Tell me your life story. And yeah, I'll, I'll totally. literally say that. And it makes people laugh. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I feel like so glad that you said that. Because like, same, yeah. I don't know anyone here. Like, let's just like, just making the reality out of like what it is. Like networking is awkward. Like it's, it's, awkward. it's, it's great, but it's really awkward to start it. So if you can just be like, we're networking. This Let's do this. Weird. This yeah. is weird. And like, just like making a joke out of it. I feel like it makes everyone yeah. feel a lot looser too. So I feel like that I a totally lot agree. of times is like my intro and then, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think like anytime you get nervous, just remember, I think these are like my final kind of thoughts on networking. Like everyone's human. Like you said, we're all there in the same place. Everyone's human. Talk to them about who they are. Like be Mm. genuine. Like Mm -hmm. people want to share genuine stories about themselves. The easiest thing you can do in a situation is ask someone a question about themselves. Right. Everyone loves that. Everyone will run and talk about themselves for hours. So be yourself, ask people questions about themselves, change it to the environment. If things get really weird and then have that little exit line and and you'll be golden. Yeah. I think those are like all things everyone should be practicing at every networking event. Yeah. I love that. And I think mm-hmm. to even with like chatting with reps in design or outside of design, you know, every rep is different, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day their job is sales and so they're trying to make a sale to you, right? And so like a lot yep. of times I will either when I have reps coming into my studio or if I'm at an event like that, I'll like, this is again, this is my joke. Like, I'll just make a joke. Like, I know you're here to sell me product or I know like <laughs> that we're here to talk about this, but like, tell me about you first. Like, what do you love to do? Like I had a rep in my studio this week from Architects and we were like getting ready. We were going to do like a lunch and learn, you know, I knew that it was going to be like a long thing. And I was like, before we get into it, like, tell me about you. Like, what are your hobbies? And they were like, oh my gosh, we're both into like yoga and wellness. And we talked about it for like 30 minutes and it was just so much more comfortable. I feel like for everybody and like, didn't feel so transactional. And I think that they want that too, you know, like they're aware of the situation that they're in and like, they want to connect with us. So I always say just like, be a human at the end of the day, get to know another human and like the follow-up will happen. Yeah. And I think as a rep to acknowledge that that's what you're doing too. Like, yeah. I feel like I I was pretty decent at sales because I'd be like, I'm trying to sell you an ad. So like, like yeah. I need to do that. But now tell me more about what's going on in your life. So yeah. I think like acknowledging that like that is what you're doing and not trying to like slip it in totally. in a weird way. I think like you're saying, it's better to be upfront, acknowledge the situation, and then you can really have a more genuine interaction. Yeah. Yeah. I love all of this. Well, we're getting close to the end, so I want to finish with a really fun topic and chat. Hustlers at home, I know that it's like a page on your guys' website, and so it's basically like the architectural digest, like, hey, welcome to my home, like, let me show you around, but with Next Geners. So the ones that I was like, ooh, these are really interesting, was Lucas, I think it's Goldbach. I don't know if that's how you say his last name. Yeah, that's right. Lucas Goldbach, yeah. Yeah, and then Jessica Blue. So tell me about the interiors. Tell me about Hustlers at Home. I just love the concept. Yeah, it was so fun when we started that because we really did start it because it was very similar to, you know, Vogue does something like it where they walk around people's houses, obviously cribs classic cribs people came in mtv great um and so we were kind of trying to emulate that but what we were trying to get to was next geners are designers 
but they're on a budget. (laughs) So like all of our neck shutters are really amazing designers, but they're not using their clients' money, right? They're using their own money and it's a very different scale. We talked about salary already. So um, (laughs) yeah, we wanted to kind of see what next geners as designers were doing Mm. and how they were getting creative with their budget. And it was, it's been really fun. I think we've done like 10 or 11 of them now. Um, and it's really just next shutters walking us through where they're finding pieces, how they're getting creative. Um, Lucas, for inter- for instance, he has like a couple of very great uh, vintage shops he would go to always. And so he had some favorite pieces he talked us through, which was great. Um, I think like Jessica has such a really interesting color. Um yes story and she just loves color and as a next genner when she would show up to dinners I would know she loved color because (laughs) her outfits would be colorful her glasses would be colorful yeah and so I was really happy her house really matched um Mm. you know her vibe but every single one we've done uh, Kevin who is our photographer and videographer he and I both have taken something from every house and wanted to like put it into ours yeah. so like uh, Jen uh, Jen Sutcher she's a designer in Chicago she had gone to like Home Depot or something and got this really cool pillar that would just be on the floor and then she put like a vase on the pillar mm-hmm. and so now I have like a pillar <laughs> I got it it was like $10 or something yeah. and I have a pillar with like a vase on it I'm like cool yeah. uh, me Nina Etter, she has a very boho vibe apartment and mm. condo. And so she was burning Palo Santo when I came into her house. Okay. And so, like, now I burn Palo Santo. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, every next center had a very cool way of expressing themselves. And, and as you know, as designers, you're working for clients. So you're really executing a client vision. Yes. Whereas on your own place, that's free reign. You get Maybe yeah. you have a partner who, like, gets to interject or not, um, <laughs> which most of our our designer partners don't really interject too much, but, um, you know, you get to like make yourself the client and you get to do things that like are very creative and cool. So my favorite part about hustlers at home is it's on a budget, like a real life designer budget. Um, some of them are smaller, some of them are bigger, but it's giving next genres and designers the chance to do their own vision Mm. in full scale, which is so exciting to see. Yes. Agreed. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I will for sure be linking Hustlers at Home for everyone to go watch that series because it's great. Uh, If you ever need another Hustler at Home to record, you know. Yeah, I think think there might be one in Portland. (laughs) Sounds good. Um, I would love for you to just plug socials, any next events coming up, any anything exciting that you want to share. Yeah, absolutely. So our our Instagram is Network Next Gen. And for some reason, when you say Network Next Gen, you, we always miss the T and the next. So make sure it's Network Next N-E-X-T-G-E-N. Okay. Um, we're also on Facebook. Um, we're on TikTok, which is kind of fun. <laughs> uh, but Instagram is where we really mainly live. Also, our website has all the dates for all upcoming events. So it's www.networknextgen.com. Um, you can even request to attend a dinner through our website. Um, and if you're a rep or an AD rep, you can also request to sponsor, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neocon is coming up in June. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're based in Chicago, so we get really excited about Neocon at the Merchandise Mart. Um, if any designers are going to Neocon, we're actually going to have our own space this year, which is Ooh. very exciting. And it's in a prime location. So I can't share too much about that, but it's going to be really cool. So 
if you are attending Neocon and you're interested in what Network Next Gen is doing, uh, make sure you reach out to us. Um, and my email is just Tara, T-A-R-R-A, at networknextgen.com, and I'll shoot you the information for that too. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. This was seriously such an informational and fun episode. I feel like Good. designer or not designer, people are going to like walk away and, and have some nuggets of info. So Good. I'm so glad. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. All right, everybody. That was the Almost There podcast with Tara Kikafer. You can find her and her next gen team at Network Next Gen on Instagram. Thank you. We're almost there. Bye.